and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and hey, if you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating or leave me a wonderful review. I'd really appreciate it, guys. Don't forget, you can also follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about communication breakdown. No, not the Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> we'll be talking about your dogs and what that, how that applies, right? Then we're going to have a segment about agility training, how to get your dog started on that, how to create good success with agility training, because, hey, it's awesome to get out there and work more with your dog. Then we're going to have the first pets and our listener Q&A. If you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, dog-related, training-related, animal-related, anything-related, send it on over. Questions at speakadogcast.com or message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, the wrinkles on a gorilla's nose are similar to what part of the human body? Yes, the wrinkles on a gorilla's nose are similar to what part of the human body? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, Communication Breakdown. It's always the same. No, I'm not going to sing for you, but I do love Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I do. Two, two favorite bands in the world, without a doubt. They laid the foundation for rock and roll. Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. They're my two favorite bands. I'm just going to just gonna say it. But we're not talking about rock and roll today. Maybe we should. That'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> no, we're talking about communication breakdown. Now, there's kind of two parts to this segment, right? There's, there's the first part, the communication breakdown between humans and animals. We are. We're having... We're having a breakdown between us and animals and the way we, we talk to them, if you will, or communicate, because we're not actually conversing. Uh, so that's that's one thing we got to talk about. And the second thing is an actual breakdown of communication with animals, <laughs> how we can communicate with animals better, how we should communicate with animals, uh, and especially, of course, your dogs in particular. So let's just let's dive into it. You know, let's talk about this communication breakdown that I am seeing more and more between humans and animals or, or pet owners and their dogs. Um, look, what do, what do I often say? My job is to not necessarily train dogs, but rather to change the way you view dogs, to change your perception on what a dog is, right? That's, that's really my job at the end of the day. And, and, and there's kind of like a second part to that. My second second part of my job is to bridge a communication gap. Because when I walk into a house to train a dog, the problem usually is the fact that we, we, we're not communicating, you know, the owner is not communicating in a way that is cohesive for both them and their dog. Or they're miscommunicating. They're sending the wrong cues, wrong signals. They're still communicating, just not in the right, because they don't understand how to communicate with their dog. You know, we all, we all want to give our dogs the best, right? We want to give them love and affection and a, and a safe house to live in and soft dog beds and you know, all these. But you know what? I never hear people wanting to give their dogs structure, rules, boundaries, discipline. Guys, if you go watch, you know, if you go watch Caesar, Dog Whisper, right? His, his episodes from like, I would guess probably 15, 17 years. It was like 2004, five. Wow. Uh, <laughs> long time ago, uh, almost 20 years ago at this point. That is just nuts. 
And I, I always loved something that always stuck with me when I watched these episodes and I was trying to learn about dog training uh, years and years ago. Something that stuck with me was that he always asked. I loved it. He would start off asking just normal questions about the dog and I don't know how their day to day, the routine. And then he and then he asks the big one is, OK, so who's the disciplinarian who disciplines the dog here? Love it. Uh, and it was always met with this like, oh, oh, well, it's either, it was either met with like this, oh, we don't discipline the dog or immediately everybody points at one person because they're the only one that provides rule structure and boundaries. And it blew my mind that people were so like, oh, discipline rules for my dog. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Which is so backwards, guys. So backwards from how dogs naturally communicate. Dogs live their lives in a hierarchy. And, and if you don't establish that, who the leader is in the hierarchy, if you don't establish that, you're not communicating with your dog in a very good way and you're having a communication breakdown. Then what happens? Well, your dog doesn't necessarily view you as the leader. They start feeling like they need to overcompensate in displacing these leadership qualities. The problem is you still control so many aspects of your dog's life that they can't control. So now it becomes this battle, back and forth battle for control and who's really in charge here. All because of a communication breakdown. You see you see what I'm saying here. Um, so the communication breakdown begins with not understanding what a dog is at its core. What's a dog at its core, guys? All of my regular listeners, a domesticated wolf. <laughs> That's correct. Domesticated wolves, guys. That's what these are. These are predators. This is a, I mean, I, I don't know how else you can't see that as a, this is a domesticated predator and I have to treat them as such. And the second I don't treat them like a domesticated predator is the second I'm not getting good results. It's just, it, 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 it's patterns, you know? I see it time and time again. Those who treat their dogs like dogs get amazing dogs, get incredible dogs, have a wonderful relationship with their dogs. But people who treat their dogs like little humans, like little fixtures, like little safety blankets for themselves, like a tool for their own enjoyment, as opposed to an, a living creature that needs structure, rules, boundaries, and affection, you know? Those clients don't, they don't get a well-balanced dog. And there is a very clear communication breakdown. Remember, guys, dogs communicate through body language, through eye contact. It's not this vocal conversation that we're going to have, right? It's subtleties. It's one of the one of the easiest things when I get when I get easiest examples. I get a phone call for aggression, right? We have a dog who. This is the call. This is usually, you know, out of nowhere, quote, out of nowhere, the dog bit somebody. And I got news for you guys. I'm sorry. Look, it's just the truth. It is never out of nowhere and you're missing something. You're missing a moment of communication that was so important that it led to a fight either 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 months later. Believe it or not, yes, it's how this stuff can go. All because of a lack of communication, of understanding how dogs communicate with each other. Like it's still, it kind of, it kind of blows my mind that I work with people. I try, you know, I give, so not all the time, but sometimes I'll work with somebody and you know, my, again, my job is to change their perception on what a dog is. That's really what my job is. 
and I try and, and, and I'll get them to agree, right? That, okay, they'll see, they'll, they'll see the evidence in front of them and they'll go, oh, okay, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah, okay, I see that, I see that. I don't, I don't, I don't. And then they'll, they'll agree with what I'm saying, but then they'll just totally fight me and go against me. Otherwise, oh, well, no, the dog is thinking and feeling this. And it's just like, have you not listened to anything I've said? <laughs> like, throw my hands up in the air, like, oh, come on. Uh, all right, all right. So, you know, look, guys, it, if you want to communicate better with your dog, you have to understand that dogs, and I know, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to hurt any feelings or break any hearts, but here's the truth. Dogs do not have feelings like you or I do. I didn't say they don't have feelings, so don't even, don't try that. <laughs> I'm saying their feelings don't equate to what our feelings are. They don't feel the same way you and I do. Guys, if they did, they wouldn't be called dogs. They'd be called humans, would they not? I mean, like, is that not obvious? You can't sit here and say, oh, my dog feels this and feels this and feels that and feels and feels. First of all, they might. Okay, I'll give you that. They might. At the same time, I know they don't. Uh, because <laughs> Science has kind of proven that. Um. But even if, even if they think this or they think, even if it's true, you can't ever prove it. So you can't tell me my dog feels this because you don't know. I'm sorry, not trying to hurt feelings, but it's just the truth. Because they'll go, oh, my dog feels this. And I like, guys, if you've listened to my podcast by now, you know, I, I don't beat around the bush I don't do things to be mean. It's not to be mean. It's, it's to make a point. It's to get you to look at things differently. Sometimes you have to be blunt and direct. You know why? Because dogs are blunt and direct animals. They don't hide. They don't BS. They don't hide their feel, feelings. <laughs> okay? They, they, they show it. If I'm uncomfortable, they shake. If they're uncomfortable, they'll snap at you. I mean, there's all these ways they displace that they're nervous. Whereas I could ask you, hey, are you nervous right now? And you might be hiding it really well. And on the inside, you're nervous as hell. But on the outside, you're not. And you're going to tell me you're not nervous. And I'm going to believe you. Dogs don't work that way. And so then I'll ask this client. I'll say, you know, they'll say, oh, my dog feels this. And I go, well, how do you know? How do you know they feel that? Did they tell you? Because if they did, I'll go call the local news station. And you're going to be very rich. You know, <laughs> make them laugh a little. You know, it's, it's not... Again, I'm not doing it to hurt feelings, but if I don't kind of throw it in your face and go, hey, look at this differently, if I beat around the bush and sugarcoat it and we're, we'll never get there. We'll never get there. So guys, this, I know, look, this is, this is the communication breakdown is the view of what a dog is. That's why we have a communication breakdown because we don't view dogs for what they actually are domesticated wolves treat your dog like a dog and they will be happy as you can be look I, I always i did a segment long way back about spoiled dogs and you want to spoil your dog treat them like a dog yeah go play some fetch go swimming go for a walk go for a run let them play with their friends socialize dog park doggy day camps go to the beach take them out on the boat if you have a retriever let them retrieve you have a hunting dog let them hunt you know, that's how you spoil your dog. I mean, I, I treat them like a dog. And if you treat them like a dog and communicate with them like a dog, there won't be a breakdown. All right. So I kind of said I'm going to break this into two parts, but I've sort of <laughs> been incorporating the how we communicate a little bit in there. 
Look, at the end of the day, guys, we got to communicate with our dogs like dogs. That's how this works. You want to communicate better? Treat your dog like a dog. Stop treating them like they're a little, they're a little kid or a little plaything. Right? I know. I know. All right. So the breakdown of communication. You want to communicate better with your dog? The first thing I would suggest really is, you know, the first thing I would say, if you, look, if you're going to, and I don't mean if, because at some point you're going to talk to your dog, right? Saying, good boy, that's talking to them. <laughs> if you're going to talk, when you talk to your dog, make it meaningful. Meaningful, as in it needs to have purpose. You know, when you say good boy, you need to know why you're saying good boy. When you're, why, you know, why, the, the timing of it, why you're, you need to know why. Because if you're just going, okay, yeah, you're being really good and I love everything. It just starts going in one ear and out the other. And if you constantly talk to your dog, constantly, constantly, all you're teaching them to do is ignore it. Yeah, you heard me right. It's conditioning, guys. Dogs are simplistic, smart, intelligent, but simplistic. So I, you know, when I, when I see a client take the leash and literally converse with the dog, okay, we're going to start walking now. Okay. We're going to go this way now. Okay. I need you to sit. Okay. You're going to look over. Okay. We're going to, let's try to do this now. It's pointless guys. And not only is it pointless, it's actually hurting your, your training. Cause like I said, you're just training your dog and teaching them to ignore you. So when you communicate with them, it needs to be purposeful. Okay. Purposeful communication. It's one thing if we're laying about the house on the couch and we're just lounging and I'm going, oh, good boy, good boy, and scratching the belly or whatever, you know, cool, sure, what, yeah, right? I'm talking about when we're training. When you're when you're attempting to convey information to your dog, keep it short and sweet, okay? Sit, good boy. Stay, oh, good stay, good boy. Good boy. See how quick, quick I am with it? Okay, that's, that's how I try to be with the dogs when I'm working with them. The smaller my information, the more bite-sized my little pieces of info can be, the better. They learn faster with little tiny, like think about, I always go back to math class. Maybe it's just because my brain, I, I didn't ever love math class. <laughs> but um, you go back to math class and if they just tried to throw the whole semester at you at once and like, okay, here you go, one week learn it all. <laughs> it's not going to work so well, right? We have to do a little B. You know, I remember what, with chapters, we'd have like chapter 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. And then at the end you have the tap because they can't just give you here's chapter one, learn it all. No, we had to little bite-sized increments. We all learn better with small pieces of info given to us, built up over time and through repetition and understanding versus it all just thrown in our face, especially with dogs, guys. They're very black and white in their thinking. It either is or it isn't. So if we start talking like this and say we're going it just sounds unsure. It just sounds like you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Are we going, wait, are we going this way? No, we're going that way. No, wait, I, should I watch you? Should I, is it good boy? Am I getting a, tr it gets very confusing to your dog. So communication 101, guys, the very first thing you got to understand is stop having a conversation, be concise with your information and have a point behind it. Be meaningful. Know why you're talking to them, when you're talking to them, all that good stuff, okay? Purpose, meaning, understanding, very important, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing with communication, you need to understand something about dogs. Excuse me, animals, animals in general. You need to understand something about all animals on this planet. We all work the same way when it comes to this. There are only three ways 
there, I'm going to say it again. There are only three ways to motivate an animal. I don't care what kind of animal it is, the size, the breed, the doesn't matter. There's only three. Food, affection, and sex drive. Now, when it comes to animals, we cannot do anything with sex drive. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> the other two things, food and affection. Now, what do most people do with their dogs? They give food and affection away for free. They don't ask anything. They're just always food and affection for free. No big deal. So when they want to try to train their dog, they have no ways to motivate them. Because why? Well, their dog gets everything for free. So why would I work for it? Why, why do I have any motivation to listen to you, buddy, if you're just handing me everything for free? Why does anybody <clears throat> have any motivation to do anything if they get handed it for free? They don't. There you go. Um, <laughs> rules of psychology, not my opinion. All right. So... <laughs> small and concise pieces of information <laughs> and understanding how to motivate your animal. Very important, guys. Very, very, very important. Honestly, if you took just those two things and ran with them, you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked how much better your dog will learn. Okay. Um, now, Another thing is eye contact and focus. I talk about it a lot. Focus. And focus is eye contact, right? Uh, you have to have the ability to guide and direct your dog's focus. If you can't control their focus, you're going to have a really hard time communicating with them. Look, one example I give is when, um, let's say we're out on leash, we're teaching a dog to, to walk, to, to, to focus, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the dog gets a little distracted and they all of a sudden kind of hone in on something and they're kind of staring at it, right? And the owner maybe is trying to get their dog to sit. So what happens is dog is staring, dog is distracted, and the owner says, sit, sit, sit. And the dog's just ignoring them. Now, it's not necessarily the dog ignoring them. What we have to understand is that dogs can only focus on one thing at a time, right? Literally one thing at a time. So if they're so honed in and focused on that one thing and you're asking them to sit, they, they, they like literally can't hear you. It's, it's just like, in again, in one ear out the other. Okay, so what we have to do is we have to redirect the focus first. So I, I often tell my clients, when your dog is staring like that and you want them to sit, try redirecting their focus first by calling their name or using the kissing noise. Now we talked about the kissing noise exercise. I've talked about it a lot lately, so I'm not doing it again. <laughs> okay, but kissing noise to redirect or calling their name. And now, boom, I gain their focus. They're looking at me. Hey, good boy. Now I can say, hey, sit. And now they'll sit. So understanding that dogs can only focus on one thing at a time and then having the ability to guide and direct that focus, it, it's, it's everything. It's everything because your dog won't be able to take your information in if they're honed in on everything else, if you can't control that focus, right? Yeah. So, you know, kind of think about that. It's definitely an important thing to, uh, to keep in mind. So communication with your dog you know, I always go by the mantra, go back to it. I haven't said it in a while. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. All right? Really keep it simplistic. I think people try to overcomplicate uh, their communication. Hence that whole conversation. Let's go for here. Let's overwalk. Da -da -da -da. That whole con conversing thing. You're overcomplicating it. Look, if my dog's on a leash and I want them to walk this way, walk with me. No, walk this way. It's like a rock and roll theme today. Uh, <laughs> if I want them to walk with me, I don't have to tell them, oh, you ready to go now? Are we going to go for a walk? Okay, let's, let's start to walk. Guess what, guys? They're on a leash. Just start walking. They're going to follow you. <laughs> body language. Use your body language. Use body language. The collar, little pull. That's body language. It's touch. They understand that stuff if you utilize it. Do you know what they don't understand? Hey, Fluffy, are you ready to go for a walk? Do you want to go this way? Do you want to go that? They don't understand that, guys. 
What they do understand is body language and black and white communication. Okay, so I'm going to start walking with my dog. I'm just going to start walking. They're going to follow me. If I need to redirect the focus, it's, hey, Fluffy. I gain the focus. Good boy. Reinforce it and strengthen it. I keep, they keep focusing, keep reinforcing and strengthening it, right? Then now that I have their focus, I can do whatever I want. I can ask them to sit. I can ask them to stay. I could ask them to jump on, on their hind legs. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, so communicating with your dog in a black and white and concise way, very important, right? Understanding your dog's motivation, very important. Knowing that they can only focus on one thing at a time, very important. Having the ability to guide and direct that focus, very important. This is breaking down communicating with your dog, guys. Because if you can't kind of, you know, if you can't really accomplish it, can't control their focus, then our communication isn't going to be so good. If we don't understand that dogs understand things in a very small little bite-sized piece, our communication isn't going to be very good, right? So communication breakdown, I hate seeing it. I don't want to see a breakdown between humans and animals because the relationship we have, it's phenomenal and we need to make it better. We need to strengthen it. And in order to strengthen it, I encourage you, get out there. Find more animals to interact with. Sounds kind of silly, but it's true. Go volunteer, guys. Volunteer at your local shelter, local animal rescue. Um, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, guys. Your local area has one. I'm sure there's one within a short drive uh, for most of you. So go check it out. Hey, go visit a farm. Lots of farms will do tours, things like that. If you've never been to a farm, I highly encourage you. Go be around smelly animals. Yeah, uh-huh. Get back to your roots. Get back to nature, guys. Uh, that's what it's about. So get out there and experience some animals, and you'll improve your communication with your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, agility training. Now, agility training and, well, for that matter, all kinds of activities with dogs, they have just taken off in popularity and really skyrocketed in the last 10 years. And, you know, there's, I mean, there's scent work, there's barn hunts, there's uh, agility rally, there's all these different activities now. It's it's really awesome. Uh, and, you know, look, it's, it's a great way to bond with your dog. It's a great way to exercise your dog, of course. Uh, sometimes it can be good for socialization, depending on the setting and the environment and how you're doing it. But the really neat thing, and I think part of what speaks to the popularity going up, is that you know now agility equipment has become much more affordable. You can buy some of this stuff on Amazon now. Set it up in your own backyard, you know? Uh, there's even a lot of beginner courses that you can get. So it's it's really kind of cool because, again, it just it's, it's one more thing we can do with our dog, one more way to keep them stimulated for that matter. Look, not only is it the physical exercise, but how about the mental exercise your dog's going to get from it, too? So... I'm all about it, guys. You want to teach your dog agility? Hey, let's do it. 
Now, there's a couple things I you should probably note with, with agility training, and I think some people make mistakes in how they do agility training. Now, you know, I, I, one of the first hurdles, <laughs> get the joke, hurdle, uh, agility course, come on, that was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> one of the first hurdles you're going to encounter that everybody thinks about is getting their dog used to the equipment. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. You've got the tunnels. Some dogs may not want to go in a tunnel. The seesaws for sure. Uh, one that can make them uneasy. Just getting them up and over an A-frame might be a challenge for some some dogs. So, you know, there's there's definitely some tips and tricks and hints that I would recommend you doing to better acclimate your dog to an agility course. Now, you know, most, if, if we're talking like, look, if we're talking serious agility, <laughs> you know, we're, we're like an agility uh, 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 club or we're doing competitions that's a whole different ball game, right? You're talking serious, but we're gonna we're gonna talk more for your average dog owner. Now, look, guys, if we're doing proper agility, um, and if if you're doing a backyard, even just backyard agility, I would recommend starting with a starting position. You know, they have a start platform. Is basically what this is, and usually it's what two or three feet by two. You know, it's usually a square, two or three feet. Now. Again, guys, if we're talking like AKC style competitions here, there are specific regulations for all of your equipment. Yeah, very, very detailed. And I mean, go check it out. You can find it on their website. It is very detailed on all the exact specifications for all of your equipment, the size, the color, the width, the just everything, depending upon what the uh, what it is, you know. So if you are wanting to start and you want to be serious about this and you you know you're trying to work up to competition of course if you're doing it in your backyard it doesn't matter as much but look i'm just i'm throwing it out there if you really want to be serious go check out their uh, the credentials for building this stuff correctly or buying the right size one uh, and that's the neat thing you can build or buy this stuff now if you're handy even if you're only half handy there are some fantastic plans out there online uh, you just google them fantastic plans to build an agility course okay so anyway back to it starting platform um, that's one thing you can start with haha start with is the starting platform just getting your dog to hop up on the platform and a sit and a stay and treating and rewarding it okay it's similar to a spot you know if you think about it it's go to your spot go to your place that's what it is we talked about training that before you know same concept that's where i would begin just to get your dog comfortable hopping up up and down however however um most starting platforms are also a finish platform so they start and finish in the same place a lot of times and while I'm saying start with the starting platform, here's here's a big trick. Write this one down. This is this is important. Most people try to train agility going start to finish, right? They try running through the course start to finish. Uh-uh. Do it backwards. Yeah. You heard me right. Do it backwards. So let's just say, I don't know. I'm just going to throw it out there. Let's say our final uh, uh, the final, um, thing that we have the dog run through is going to be hurdles. Let's say they finish with the hurdles. And then once they're done with the hurdles, they have to be on the finish platform. So we're going to start very basic, getting the dog on the platform, right? We started there already. We can get past that. Okay. Then we're going to start backing toward the end of the hurdles and running to the platform. Does that make sense? Getting them to run from the last hurdle. They don't even have to do the hurdle yet. Just run from the placement of the last hurdle to the platform, sit, stay, reward that. Then we'll teach them to go over the hurdle. 
Now that's a slow process, okay? Obviously, we want to start with the hurdle very low and entice them to come across. Guys, treats are going to be your best friend here. We can use a little bit of bribing. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if your dog does have a specific toy that they really go crazy for, they're really motivated by, by all means, use that toy as well, okay? But food, obviously, come on, food's going to go a long way. Um, so again, we start with the hurdle really low. Now, leash them up, guys. I would recommend your dog drag a short, you know, four or six foot leash um, around very carefully. You can, now, this is a great time, guys. Great time for a nylon collar. Uh, I would still probably use a martingale, but hey, this could be a good time for a good use for a pop nylon collar. Pop it on them, let them drag the leash around. That way, if they try to go around the hurdle, all the other, you know, all the equipment, we can guide and direct them better. So, leash, collar on. They're over on the other side of the hurdle and I'll say, you know, come here, right? Pretty obvious. Get them to come to you and entice them to come to you over the hurdle. Now you can start by not even putting that bottom bar in. Just let them walk through the hurdle a couple times and get them used to that. Then add the bar and get them jumping over it just at two inches or whatever the lowest uh, setting is. Okay. Once you get them comfortably jumping over the bar, add back in that finish platform, right? So I would recommend teaching each uh, each thing individually. So we start with the platform, then we start by teaching the hurdle, then we add in, after they learn the hurdle, we add back in, going from the hurdle to the platform. Once they learn one hurdle, we add two hurdles, teaching them to go over two hurdles at a time, back to the platform, so on and so forth. Okay, now let's say, all right, they've learned all the hurdles, David, they've jumped over four hurdles, right back to the platform, no problem. Move on to the next one. What's the next one? Uh, let's say it's a tunnel, <laughs> right? Now a tunnel, guys, the easiest way to train a tunnel, make the tunnel straight, don't curve it, and it's easiest to do with two people, right? Put somebody on one end of the tunnel, put the other person with the dog on the other end of the tunnel, and obviously have the person bend down, go, hey, come here, through the tunnel, encourage them to come, and of course, give them a treat once they get through the tunnel. Once they learn how to do the tunnel, then we can start to curve the tunnel, teaching them to go around the corner because now they can't see you anymore, but you got to teach them that curve. Once they're comfortable with the tunnel, we add back in tunnel, hurdles, finish platform. You see where I'm going here? Guys, train it backwards. Don't train it forwards. It makes a huge difference with their brains if you start with the finishing point versus the starting point. I never would have thought of this years and years ago. Honestly, it's something so simple. I know it seems really simplistic. I wouldn't have thought of this. It was an ex it was experience I had along the way that taught me to do it the other way around. Uh, and I'm grateful I had that lesson because it makes all the difference. Okay. So look, we could run through each, I mean, really, I could run through each uh, obstacle here <laughs> and tell you how to get, but really at the end of the day, guys, it's guiding and directing leashing your dog up, trying to minimize failures. That's the other thing. Try to minimize failures. Um, if you have, you notice if you've ever looked at a dog agility course, right? You can see that sometimes on the sides of the hurdles, they'll have a blockade, like a piece of lattice or something to keep the dog's focus on the hurdle itself. So if you can set up artificial barriers for a little while to keep your dog on track and then slowly remove them, that'll help keep them focused and going through each obstacle on its own minimize their ability to fail. Okay. Now that's not to say they aren't going to fail. They aren't going to mess up. No worries. It's going to happen. That's how they learn. Uh, but if you can minimize those failures and increase the successes and reward and reinforce and strengthen them, they'll be a lot less likely to fail. But if you allow those fail, right, if there's no physical thing stopping them and allowing them and they fail too much over and over with that, 
Ah, then we have miscommunication, communication breakdown, <laughs> last segment, right? Um, so think about it like that. Try to minimize the failures by using physical barriers and physical control by using a leash. Now, guys, we are leashing up our dogs on an agility course. I have to throw out the disclaimer of I need you to be very careful. You do not want to leave your dog unattended on this agility course with a leash dragging around. They could get caught up on something. So you got to be safe. You got to be careful about that. Okay. Know your dog, know your equipment, make sure all your equipment is safely secured. So that way you can minimize them getting caught up, but always use caution. Always use caution when you're letting a dog drag a leash around for training purposes. Okay. Um, so yeah, really that's what it comes down to guys, minimizing the failures, increasing successes and reinforcing the hell out of it, guiding and directing and make sure you leash your dog up to start with. Okay. I think most people just try to like guide and direct their dogs with, come here, and it's like, it didn't work the fifth time, sixth time, seventh time, why just leash the damn dog up and show them. Like They don't know, you have to show them, okay? I think I, I see that a lot with, with agility where people don't leash their dogs up and help guide them through these things. Without guiding them, how else are they gonna know what to do, right? Like, come on, think about it. Um, so again, the, these these little agility things Work the course backwards, minimize your failures, reward uh, successes, of course, like, you know, praise, food, all that good stuff, and take your time going through each as you move through the course, right? One, you're going to do one obstacle, then move on to the next and teach them to go back to that obstacle that I had success on. Once you get to the new obstacle, teach them alone to do that, then combine it with the next one. Okay, so on and so forth. Baby steps, then combine it with the bigger picture. Baby steps, then combine it with the bigger picture. See what I'm saying? That's how you build it. That's how you build it until you get back to the very beginning of the course, okay? And then before you know it, you'll be shocked. Your dog will just boom right through it because that's the autopilot mode. One other tip I really want to give you here, um, I would recommend finding a dog treat that your dog really particularly loves, a special treat. You're only going to use that treat when they get to the finish platform. Okay, feel free to use other treats throughout and rewarding them throughout as long as it's a different kind, a different kind of treat, rewarding them throughout the course as you're teaching them the course, right? But only when they get to that finish platform are you gonna have something special, right? Maybe even bring out their food bowl at the end. Have it hiding and bring it out at the end. Put it down on that platform and let them eat their special treat out of the food bowl. Food bowls tend to pump them up, right? They know what their food bowl is. It gets them really excited. So adding the treat in the food bowl can sometimes really, yeah. Uh, look, when I worked at an animal show, that's I used to bring the food bowl out on stage a lot uh, during practice to help entice and, and increase that reinforcement, right? Increase it. Um, so yeah, think about that. I usually recommend going with something like really smelly, stinky, delicious treatment. Again, think about what your dog likes. Know what your dog likes and only use that treat at that particular moment, okay? So that way they get the big reward at the end of the course, right? You run through the whole course, you get the reward, the big reward, the big finish, the big cheese, okay? <laughs> really important, all right? So, hey, agility is all about having fun. That's really what it's about. It's about having fun, getting your dog mentally stimulated, physically stimulated, increasing that bond with your dog. Uh, look, if, I, again, I encourage you, because I've done it, I've built some in the past, I encourage you to go out and look at some plans online, Google them, find some great agility course plans. There's also a lot of great companies out there that make some really high quality good stuff. Um, so like it depends on if you're the weekend agility person or if you're going all in. Uh, but that's the wonderful thing. There's equipment out there for all experiences, uh, all budgets, all levels of agility. So get out there, experiment with it and have some fun. 
Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today, we will be talking about John F. Kennedy. Yes, the youngest candidate ever elected president of the United States of America. He and his wife, Jackie, they had two children at the time, Caroline and John Jr., and they were always very welcoming of animals, and it was no different once they were in office. And when they moved into the White House, they brought with them a cat named Tom Kitten, uh, two hamsters named Billy and Debbie, and shortly after the move, a new canary named Robin. And that was Caroline's pet. Now, the Kennedy's family, uh, Kennedy's family dog did not make the original move to the White House. Their Welsh terrier named Charlie, he stayed behind at the president's mother's house in Virginia until the family felt that they had settled in. Once Charlie did make his journey to the White House, he often participated in any activities that the president could bring him along with. He would swim with the president, took part in other aspects of daily life, and it was even said President Kennedy loved being greeted by the dog so much that he would request that Charlie be waiting for him on the White House lawn when he was arriving by helicopter. Now, cool story here. Uh, Caroline was gifted a dog from Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev in 1961. After sitting next to Jackie Kennedy at a state dinner in uh, Vienna, they must have talked dogs. You know, they were talking shop, right? Because shortly after the dinner, Caroline was sent a little white puppy named Pushinka, meaning fluffy in Russian. The puppy came with a passport that identified her as a non-breed, but did specify that her mother, named Strelka, was the first dog sent into space in August of 1960. Now, of course, Pushinka was instantly popular among the family and staff. However, let's remember the time period. The Cold War, well, it was quite hot at this time. So there was the potential for poor Pushinka to be used as a tool for spying. She was actually taken to the Walter Reed Army Medical Center to be examined for bugs, not the parasitic kind, uh, hidden microphones, bombs, germs, you know, rightfully so. There were a lot of concerns that the Russians could be, in fact, weaponizing this dog. Now, you know, once they got her back home and everything was safe, she got the clean bill of health. She actually fit into the Kennedy pack very well, even winning over their current dog, their first dog, Charlie. And in fact, the two of them had a litter of puppies that President Kennedy called Pupniks. <laughs> Once all these little puppies were of age, they were given away. One went to the president's sister, Patricia Lawford, and two were given away to the winners of an essay contest. This is kind of cool. Jackie asked young people from around the country to write an essay about the proper way to care and raise a new, care for and raise a new dog, right? And with over 5,000 entries, they finally chose the winners in August of 1963. Mark Bruce, age nine, from Columbia, Missouri, and Karen House, age 10, of Westchester, Illinois. Those are the two winners, and they were promptly sent these brand new puppies. Pretty cool. Uh, now, other animals gifted to the president over the years, they had a pair of deer that had to be relocated to the Washington Zoo. They even had an Irish Cocker Spaniel named Shannon as well. Lots of dogs in this in this White House. Now, one more dog did join the Kennedy family, an Irish wolfhound aptly named Wolf. <laughs> However, Wolf did not get along well with the other dogs, and they had to find a new home for him. And the Kennedys also had two ponies named Macaroni and Leprechaun. And then a third pony made his way in, Tex. And Tex was gifted uh, to the children from Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson. 
Now, as many people know, Jackie Kennedy was a skilled horsewoman, and she wanted her children to be as well. So that exposure and learning how to clean them, take care of them, ride them, uh, was very important to her and very important that they learn. Now, there were a few other animals along the way, a couple of parakeets, and even a white rabbit sent by a magician. So a lot of people sent these you know, adoring gifts to the president, but I mean, you can only take in so many animals, I suppose. But awesome. I mean, even as recent as John F. Kennedy, how many variety of animal species were there? It's just, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I'm a big history buff. I am. So to me, when I can take animals and history and combine them, uh, it's a lot of fun. So I'm learning a lot. I'm really enjoying this segment, and I hope you guys are too. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Allison from Lexington, Kentucky. Allison says, what can I do to get my dog to leave me alone when I am eating? I don't feed him people food, but he is a rescue and he's acting like he has had food before. Any advice? Tough one, right? You have a dog who's already been fed people food. They've already had a taste of the good life, man. No. <laughs> no, it's not the good life. Their food is just as good for them. Their dog treats are just as yummy. They don't know the difference. I mean, maybe a little bit, but you know, come on. Um, <laughs> what can you do? Uh, look, you know, it's not going to be easy because it sounds like, yeah, they may have gotten some in the past and eh, it makes it tough. Um, but what you want to do is teach your dog a spot, teach your dog a place. That's one of the best things you can do. When it really comes down to it, if you need to crate your dog while you eat for a little while to kind of take it down because maybe it's just a little too intense, that's an option as well. Um, but what I really prefer to do is to redirect, right? Redirect them, tell them to go lay down, go lay on their bed, stay, <laughs> okay? So you're going to have to teach a spot, a lie down, a stay well before you're eating, okay? You need to practice this behavior over and over and over and strengthen it without the... Um, without the, the, the temptation of the people food there, okay? That's where it has to start. Now, when it comes down to it, most dogs are still going to pop up off that bed when they get, you know, see or smell the people food. So, you look, you're going to have to leash them up and make a little correction and say no. There's nothing wrong with that. Make a correction, say no, and then guide them to a spot, lie down, stay, okay? If he gets up again, little correction, Guy in a spot, lie down today. Nothing wrong with a little collar correction, guys. Uh, look, at the end of the day, there's only the, the only way to get behavior to decrease is using some form of punishment. And again, the definition of punishment, anything an animal works to avoid. That's why I prefer to try to redirect the behavior to the bed. But at the end of the day, if your dog doesn't really want to work to avoid that, you know, that's not enough making them go lay down. Who cares? I'll pop up again and come back at you. That's how this stuff works. Right. So at the end of the day, we have to take our punishment up if it's not enough. OK, so again, I try to prefer redirecting, teach him a spot, teach him a lie down, teach him a stay. Do this when you're not eating. OK, strengthen that behavior plenty of times and then try to use that while you're uh, while you're eating. In the meantime, before they learn that, before it's solidified, I have no problem with putting them in a crate as sort of a Band-Aid for a little while while you're eating. Not a big deal. And of course, it really comes down to it. Nothing wrong with small collar corrections to teach your dog that it's unacceptable. Next question. This comes from Zach from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Zach says, I can't get my dog to sit still to cut his nails. He sees the clippers and runs. I have to take him to the vet anytime I want to get them done. Is there anything I can do? Tough one, man. Nails. Jeez. Ugh. Look, I'll be honest. I hate cutting nails. <laughs> I really do. I don't love cutting dog nails. 
Uh, I don't love cutting any animal nails because, I mean, it's one of those things that's necessary. We got to do it. Uh, but it can be tough. It can be tough. And I just don't enjoy it to begin with because, you know, it's not ever so occasionally go too short and, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm <laughs> poor puppy. So no, we don't want to, we don't want to hurt them, obviously. So you got to be careful, you know, avoid the quick. You got to, got to know where to cut. Uh, gets harder when you have dogs with dark colored nails, right? You can't see and it makes it quick, but okay, look, you, you got to start with a basic sit and stay. You know, no, no clippers around. If your dog, you know, maybe he does know a good sit and stay and it's not helping, but I would suggest starting with a good solid sit, stay, being able to walk away. So at least the stay is there. You've got that. Okay. Now you've got to desensitize your dog a little bit to these clippers. So you're, you're going to want to bring them out, uh, feeding time, put them out and just set them on the counter, let them know they're there, but don't make a big deal about it. Okay, and then slowly you can move them closer and closer to your dog so they actually will like sit next to his dog bowl while he eats. So that way it's not such a big deal. We're taking away some of that, um, you know, some of that that aversive that he's he's associated with it. He's trying to avoid it, right? So desensitizing is the first thing. Okay, now the next thing is, you know, and I don't know, your dog may have trouble with be, getting his paws touched. If that's a problem, you got to work on that too, okay? Uh, you know, I, I had a dog... I guess that's already been quite a few months ago. Um, wow, that's a little while ago. Uh, but she she had an issue big time with people touching her paws, let alone trying to cut her nails, you know. And so touching a, touching of the paws was something we had to work on. And I would just kind of touch and give a treat, touch and give a treat, touch and give a treat. Then I would slowly grab the paw a little bit, give a treat, grab the paw a little bit, give a treat, and let go immediately. Grab, let go, give a treat. <laughs> then I would start to grab and hold and give a treat, grab and hold and give a treat. Then maybe grab and hold and squeeze just a little bit and give a treat. So that way she gets used to, well, this, this dog, uh, your dog's a he, but <laughs> he, she, they get used to just being touched, squeezed, grabbed. So that way it's not a big deal. We're desensitizing them to it and we're giving them something good for accepting us doing that, right? Um, then I might grab the paw and just bring the clippers out. Don't bring them near the paw, just bring them out so they're in sight. And if they don't react, give them a treat, okay? So again, it's all about taking away that fear of it, that avoidance behavior, and instead shaping a new behavior that shows her, shows your dog you don't avoid it. If you don't avoid this thing, you actually get food. You get something awesome. Then you're going to try to clip a nail one day. <laughs> you got to try it at some point. Uh, but you want to make sure your dog is really comfortable with you picking up their paw and manipulating it completely and then bringing the clippers out. If they're totally cool as a cucumber with you bringing the clippers out and manipulating their paw, that's when you want to go to try to cut one of their nails. If they flip out or free, don't make a big deal. Be very matter of fact and go right back to what you were doing. Okay. Don't make a big deal about it. Oh my God. No, just pick it up. Do another one. They freak out. Let them put their paw down. Let them relax. Give them some more treats. Pick up the paw nice and slowly again. Hit the next nail. Okay. It's a process. It is a process. Okay. And partially because, it, you know, most, most of us, we tend to not... Uh, condition nail clippers early, you know, clipping the nails early on enough and, and, and bringing it out into, in, and uh, taking away that aversive to it enough. We don't spend enough time, um, you know, flooding them with the stimulus to get them comfortable with it. And so in doing so, we actually do the opposite. We condition them to be fearful of it because we don't bring it out enough because we don't introduce it enough and we get the opposite result we're looking for, right? Uh, so desensitize. That's what this really comes down to. Desensitize slowly, slowly baby steps, and you'll get there. The answer to today's trivia question, the wrinkles on a gorilla's nose are similar to what part of the human body? 
It's the fingerprints. Yes, our fingerprints are unique to us, just as with gorillas, the wrinkles on their nose are a unique identifier to each of them. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to click that subscribe or follow button and leave me an awesome rating or review. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Bye.